So I was really blessed to be here. I've been blessed to be here this morning. Uh, Murray's, Brother Murray was sharing his testimony. I had to think of these verses. This verse out of Psalm 46, 8. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Well, that can be hard to do. And what does that mean? I should have probably had a message on that this morning. Um, but then follow that, and it says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. I think there's a sense that when God's people are still and know that he is God, are worshiping him, are really um, looking towards him, it's the best way for God to be exalted among the heathen. We tend to think we have to go out there and we have to do it. But when God's people really look toward him and worship him and, and are still and know that he is God is when he can really work, I believe. And uh, that really blessed me as, as I thought of that. This morning I'd like to look at uh, Romans 9. <clears throat> um, would like to... This will be an exposition on Romans 9. My favorite advisor in these matters lets me know that it's always good for there to be lessons for us, takeaways. Well, I um, will say this morning you may need to look for those takeaways because this will be more of an exposition. And there are plenty of takeaways. And I will try to be bringing up some. But uh, mostly just want to look at what? The Apostle Paul was saying to his people there and is saying to us today. So I've titled the, this message, Christ, God's Only Choice. Christ, God's Only Choice. And I'd like to read this. I'll be reading it out of the New King James. Uh, not sure what happened here. Give me just a second to refine my place here. Okay. Okay, so um, we'll just go right into reading here. Israel's rejection of Christ. And, and Paul's responding to that. Um, Romans 9, verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have a great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it, but, it, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca, is also con but re but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, 
For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I, whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will a thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much suffering, long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for his for destruction, and that he may might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy while he prepared beforehand for glory, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us on whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in that place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, Unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because he did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So this is a, a passage here that I've long been familiar with. I've read over uh, many times. And it also is a somewhat complicated passage. Um, when Paul, uh, Peter in three, 2 Peter 3.14 says, um, talks about his beloved brother Paul. And he says, according to the wisdom given to him as written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to understand. And uh, he says, goes on to say, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction is also the do the rest of scriptures. And that those words twist can even be torment or um, wrestle around to their own destruction. Um, and I think that it can be said here that maybe these are one of the scriptures that would be a little bit hard to understand. Um, 
they don't, if you read them right on the face, it maybe doesn't make good sense. But when you look at them with the context of all scripture, uh, then it, and in the context of who Paul was speaking to, then it has a, has a, uh, the right sense to it. Um, I want to open another Bible here. So give me just. So. <clears throat> this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to look at this in the context of the rest of Scripture and also in the context of the, the illustrations that Paul gives. And I think that we can have a real good sense of what Paul is saying, who he's talking to. He's talking to his fellow Jews especially and what he's saying to them. And uh, in verse 5, it says, of whom the fathers, of whom are the fathers, from whom according to the flesh Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. When you read this and you think of who Paul was speaking to, it gives... Paul does not pull any punches. He is telling his fellow Jews here, uh, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Your fathers, your Jewish fathers, from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Christ was brought into the world by your lineage, by your people. And then he talks about Christ and he says who he is. Uh, Who is over all the eternally blessed God. It doesn't put Christ down here a bit from God. It puts him right on the same platform as God. So Paul is going into this not trying to, in any ways, make some sort of compromise to make what he has to share with his fellow Jews palatable or, or try to gain them through some sort of uh, easy speech. He is making it very clear where he stands who Christ is, and so forth. So I will keep that in mind as we go through this passage. It's a very strong assertion about Christ. And then in verse 6, it says, but, not that, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Um. It is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. What does that mean? So I'm speaking, let's say Paul is speaking to the Jews here, and I, he's saying, they are not all Israel who are Israel. So he's speaking to Israelites. What does that mean? They are not all, all Israel who are Israel. He is telling them, and if you look uh, in previous uh, in the previous part of Paul's writing, he is saying that they are Israel who follow the faith of Abraham. So he's telling them that the, it's not that the word of God is not taking effect here. The word of God has been effective because Israelites are those who are called or are under the governance. Actually, Israel itself, one of the meanings is, is under the governance of God. They are Israel who are under the governance of God, who have the faith of Abraham. Um, and he's talking to people here that 
didn't really like Jesus. Some of these people had scorned and scoffed Jesus. And um, these people were denying that Jesus could really be the Messiah. Um, and Paul's not compromising that good news to them. And then he goes on to make this logical argument with his fellow Jews. And it goes along, kind of along this line. And we'll look at this some more. You know, the child born of Sarah was the child of promise. He tells them that. Because there, they would never agree that the child born of Hagar or the child born of Keturah, Abraham's wife, were the child children of promise. Only the child born of Sarah would be the child of promise, and that is Isaac. Um, and that only that child would be the inheritor of the blessing, of Abraham's blessing. Again, he goes on to say, God chose Jacob to be the inheritor of, of the blessing, of the Abrahamic blessing. And he follows through on this logic. This is just a short form that it would make sense that God would make his own choice about whom the promised redeemer would be. So if God made the choice of who he would give the blessing to, that would be Abraham. He made the choice about Isaac. He made the choice about Jacob. Couldn't God, wouldn't it be right for God to make the choice about Jesus too? That's the election. That is God's choice. And verse six, we had, we looked at that that not all of is not all are Israel who are Israel, all not all of are of Israel who are Israel. So those are those who are of Israel, the spiritual Israel, are those who have the faith of Abraham. And we go into verse seven. Nor are are all the children, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. And it covered that there. Verse 8, the children born to Abraham from Hagar and Keturah. Covered that. Uh, weren't the, the children of promise. And then um, verse 9 talks about uh, the promised child coming to Abraham through Sarah. Uh, then in 10 through 13, we enter the sovereignty of God. God does the choosing. Uh, he chose Jacob over Esau, even prior to the twins having been born. So um, I did find it kind of amusing. Spurgeon was talking about this. And uh, a lady came to him after the service and she said, I don't like it. I don't see how God could have hated Esau. I don't like that that says that. And why did God hate Esau? No, I can't understand that. And Spurgeon replied and said, I can understand why God hated Esau. I don't find that so much a problem. What I can't understand, what I find a problem with is understanding how God could have loved Jacob. And uh, I just found that amusing. And there is a lot of truth to that. Jacob was not a perfect person, was he? He was a liar. Um, he was a cheater. And... Um, there's just things about him that, you know, you would you would say, well, why did God choose Jacob? Well, God did that in his foreknowledge. He understood. Now, that's something that that we want to talk to you about a little bit here is that and that is foreknowledge. Um, 
So it says here that the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, according to God's will, would stand not of works, but of him who calls. Uh, So there are things that God knows, God knew about Jacob and about Esau that uh, he acted on. And there are things we don't know about, we'll never know about until heaven that God made a decision on. Uh, why did he choose Jacob to lead the, to, to be, to receive the blessing and to be the, um, the father of Christ, be in that direct lineage over Esau? Uh, I do want to look a little bit at this thing of, of where uh, Paul is quoting from. He's quoting from Malachi when he says that, uh, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. So if we turn to Malachi, you're welcome to turn with me. I'll be reading that. Malachi 1, 1 through 5. And the context here is that of a nation, the nation Edom, which is Esau's people, living in idolatry. They were children of unrighteousness. Um, and there is a... Then Malachi talks about them. There's a prophecy going against them uh, because of the way the Edomites had treated Israel. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you. I have loved you, says the Lord. And so there he's speaking to the Israelites. Yet you say, in what have you, way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So that's where Paul was quoting from here, it seems. And laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they may build it, but I will throw it down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. There's a bit of commentary here. Edom was an ancient kingdom that is mainly associated with Esau and his descendants in the Bible. Now, remember, Edom would be descendants of Abraham as well um, and Isaac. But the God, it says, hated them and, and, and for reasons. Um, the nation of Edom existed before the Israelites left Egypt. And the Lord commanded the Israelites not to attempt to take the land from the Edomites as they passed through it, since he had given that land to Esau and his seed. And you find that in Deuteronomy 2, 1 through 5. Moses and the Israelites asked permission to cross through the land of Edom on their way, journey to Egypt but they were refused passage by the Edomite king. Um, and that's in Numbers 20, 14 through 21. 20, 14 through 21. From this point on in the Bible, Edom is mentioned as Israel's enemy and the two nations fought frequently. Both Saul and David fought against the Edomites with David conquering them and forcing them into labor. During the reign of Jehoram, 
Edom rebelled against Judah and set up their own independent king. The Edomites continued to be a problem for the Israelites and even raided Judah after it fell to the Babylonians. And because of Edom's sin here in raiding Judah and taking delight in Israel's fall during the Babylonian captivity, the Lord pronounced judgment on Edom. That's in Jeremiah 49. And God also declared Edom would be a wasteland occupied only by wild animals. And that's Malachi. And that's in Malachi, where we just read. And this became, began to come to pass when Edom was pushed out of their land and taken over by the Nabataeans. And they did end up not being a people and being totally uh, destroyed. Uh, just like as mentioned here, their land is a wasteland. Um, and so that's where Paul is pulling this reference from. Uh, es uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Um, after, after the Edomites didn't grant passage, they became formally known to the Israelites leaving Egypt. They became for formally known as enemies of Israel. So I thought you'd find that interesting. I did. It's a bit of commentary from God Answers. Um, so God is sovereign. He chooses as he wills. He sees through things we can't see. He knows the end from the beginning. He chose Jacob for his own purpose. One thing I thought about Jacob was is that he was the one who wrestled with God. He wrestled. He wanted to know he wanted God's blessing on his life. There was something in his heart there. And I thought of David as well. David wasn't a perfect man either. But he in his own way wrestled with God as well. He wanted God's blessing. He wanted to do what it was right. And, uh, and he did, largely. And I, I believe Jacob did too. Jacob became a different man uh, after he wrestled with God, it seems. And after God touched his life, his hip. <clears throat> um, Numbers twenty four seventeen. the promised redeemer came through Jacob, the blessing of the world, Jesus Christ. Uh, and that was through the words of Balaam, the prophet, who spoke truth, even though he wasn't uh, a good man in many ways. The doctrine of Balaam is through the Bible, and it's, it's in a negative sense. But he says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. He's talking about the star coming out of Jacob, and that's a capitalized star that's talking about Christ. So God did some very specific things here in choosing, in choosing. And Paul's pointing this out to his fellow Jews and his fellow countrymen, that like it or not, when God decides something, and Paul's pointing back to their own history, the things that he decided in their own history, that they really uh, appreciated, that they really um, identified with, and they they're, uh, that became their identity. They were children of Abraham, children of Isaac, children of Moses, uh, children of Jacob, you know, so they have really identified this with this. And, and so Paul's making that case. When God chooses, when God makes a sovereign choice, that's not going to change. Um, I see just a very clear vein of reasoning there. 
Um, God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, and provision was made for other people to join them, but no one else, Ishmael and uh, Keturah's children, they didn't take their place. Um, God was not pleased with people who rebelled against his plan. He wasn't pleased with the Edomites for rejecting passage to Israel through their land. Uh, God had actually told Israel not to fight the Edomites. And, and uh, you know, and then they rejected them passage. Um, so there's no blessing for the Edomites or the Ishmaelites or any other people if they rebelled against God's choosing. And then he goes on, God's choice of Christ here is very clear. If the Israelites chose to reject or deny him, God's blessing wouldn't be on them either. And so, you know, they could agree with the first two reasons, that Abraham, Isaac, and those were the children of, of the promise, and that they were the children of the promise. And they could agree that God wasn't pleased with people who didn't agree with that. But where the disagreement came was that God would have chosen Christ as Messiah. And uh, this was what made them angry, upset. So in verses 14 through 18, God made it clear to Moses that he alone would judge. And I would like to read out of Exodus as a, as a passage, a companion passage here, uh, 19, um, 32 and 33. And then we'll read um, Exodus 33:19 as well. Oh, I'm sorry. I got that passage wrong. Uh, something wasn't looking right here to me. So Exodus 33. Did I say Exodus 19? Exodus 32, 32 Yet now if I will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book. And here's Moses speaking, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of the book. So Moses went to God after the people had sinned by making themselves a golden calf. And God had said, I, I'm ready to destroy this people. And Moses intercedes there. He says, blot me out of your book. And if that's the case, and God says, I will blot uh, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. And then he goes into Exodus thirty-three nineteen, and says, then he said to him, God's, God says this, then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Uh, here again is the sovereignty of God. He's telling Moses, even though you intercede for these people in the end, I will be gracious to him and I will be gracious. I will forgive whom I will forgive. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. 
And uh, he, he's making it clear to him that it's him that would be making these decisions about uh, these things, not Moses nor anyone else. Again, the and, and Paul is is um, is making that case here when he says, "What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Cer- certainly not." And that's in uh, verse fourteen of Romans nine. For he said to Moses, "I will have compa- on mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I ever I will have compassion." So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the Scripture says of Pharaoh. That for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name be, may be declared in all the earth. Here's some verses that could be difficult to understand. Uh, go on to uh, verses 19 and 21. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will a thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and for dishonor? Here's the way I understand this. So the people of Israel weren't a package deal for God. They seem to think they were, is my feeling. And Paul's saying, can't God, if he wants to, can't the potter, if he wants to, take out of the same clay? And he's being very forthright with these people here just tremendously forthright with him. He's saying, can't he take out of, even out of amongst your midst, out of the same lump of clay and make some for honor and some for dishonor? Can't he make some that will glorify him by receiving Christ, by receiving the good news and acting on that, and also take some that decide to go against that and use them for dishonor like he even did Pharaoh, who spoke against, who wouldn't listen to God. I just want to look at Pharaoh just a little bit. <clears throat> Exodus 9.16, I'm not going to turn to there, but God made it really clear to Pharaoh. He told uh, Moses, Moses went to Pharaoh, and he gave, or God gave the message to Moses and told him to go to Pharaoh and say, tomorrow at this time, because you haven't been listening to me, you haven't let the children of Israel go with everything like I told you to. Tomorrow at this time, there will come a storm that's going to be so bad like nothing you've seen. And it's going to kill everything that's in the field. It's going to kill your livestock. This is in Exodus 9.16. It's going to kill your livestock. It's going to kill your servants. So if you believe me, bring those livestock and servants in. The message is clear there. If you don't believe me, leave them out there and see what will happen. And, you know, they can decide which they wanted to do. So you're Pharaoh, you say you're God, you, you know, you tell Moses that your God is nothing, we're not going to listen to him. But are you really not going to bring your livestock and your servants in? Are you really going to, to accept that loss or take a chance at that loss? I wonder how many people would, you know, defy God in the middle of the night. We're like, come on in, come get inside here. You know, they didn't want to let other people know that they really respected God, that they really were afraid that. This was going to happen the next day. But they secretly brought their servants and livestock in. But it said the next day then that happened. It was a terrible storm, worse than Egypt's ever seen. It destroyed everything, and it skipped the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived. Well, even then, Pharaoh again hardened his heart. 
You know, God didn't take Pharaoh, I don't believe God took Pharaoh, an unwilling vessel that loved him. They didn't take him and say, okay, now you're going to be a vessel to dishonor here, and I'm going to raise you up and, and make the world see my power through you, through the hardness of your heart. Uh, if Pharaoh would have been a man that would have <clears throat> been willing to listen to God, obey God, uh, I think God would have used him in other ways, but he wasn't. And so God brought, received glory through him because even through the hardening of his heart, God received glory. Um, and the heathen took note of God's blessing and of God's curses on his own people. If you look throughout the Old Testament, <clears throat> it wasn't just when the children of Israel obeyed God that the heathen saw God at work. It's when they disobeyed God. They took note. Um, if you read Israel's history, the Old Testament, you'll see that. But they took note of when, of how God responded to Israel's rejection of him. And <clears throat> that they, uh, they realized that the disobedience of Israel brought punishment. And there's a difference between punishment and judgment. Uh, God judged Saul, for example. And God blessed David, but God punished both, uh, Saul and David. And David took the punishment, learned from it, and grew closer to God, and Saul didn't. Saul became hardened, and we know that God judged Saul then. <clears throat> We can move into verse 27 then. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. And the message is clear here, remnant of Israel will be in the saved of the spiritual all Israel. There's another place in Romans where it says and all Israel will be saved. And so we have to look at the definition. What does Israel mean? It means those governed by God, those governed by Christ. And it means the, the, the spiritual Israel. And that's a little different from the Israel that we read about in Romans where it talks about uh, a general restoration. We, I'm not, I don't think this is talking about that at all. Um, it seems like at some point or time, that there would be an acknowledgement of, of Israel, of Christ. And that's for God to reveal in his own time, in his own way. But there's no automatic. I had a man once tell me, a new man in the faith. And unfortunately, uh, he, was, he was indoctrinated. And I'm going to be very clear here. I, I feel like it's a, indoctrinated is the right word. And it's false doctrine. Uh, that... Uh, if you're an Israelite, you will be saved. He was told this by a, a Mennonite. And uh, Romans does not say that, <clears throat> that if you're an Israelite, you will be saved. He's, he was just saying, he just wishes, you know, life is hard. He was a new convert. Life is hard. He just wishes he was an Israelite and he would be automatically saved because that's what he was told. That's a false message. That's a false doctrine. It is not true. And... Uh, that's not what Christ says. It's not doesn't go with the tenor of Scripture. And anyways, 
when it talks about Israel being saved, it's talking about the spiritual Israel. And it says a remnant from Israel will be saved. Uh, Though this number of children of the Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. And when we look back in the Old Testament and uh, look at Elisha, or was it Elijah, that was running from um, Jezebel, and he thought he was the only person left that was serving God. And God said he reserved 7,000 people there. Well, one is, is it's surprising there were that many people that were still serving God in Israel because Elijah thought he was by himself. But the other thing is, is that there were many, many, many more Israelites. There was a nation of Israelites, and God said he'd reserve 7,000. Uh, that's a remnant. That's a small amount in, in light of the large nation of Israel. So hopefully there were more than that that were on God's side and were serving, but still... Um, God is not, we don't get the impression that that um, just by lineage here, in any sense, there is salvation. So what are the lessons for us? Uh, God is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. God's will will not be deterred by men's reasoning. Uh, he chose Isaac, even when Abraham reasoned with him to, to accept Ishmael. Um and I believe, you know, we see there was a, there was a clear type there of, of Abraham offering Isaac on the altar, his only son. And I believe that type was somewhat corrupted. Uh, the type wasn't corrupted, but it was kind of, the vessel was made a little unclear because Abraham took other wives. He took uh, Hagar and so, and also Keturah. I think that picture was a little bit um was a little bit shrouded or clouded because of that. But in God's eyes, Isaac was his only son, the son of of Sarah. Um, God's choice for Jacob was in his foreknowledge. God could have, uh, you know, arranged for uh, Jacob to be the lead twin if he would have wanted to. But God made it clear he wanted the second one to be the um, the one that took the blessing of of Abraham and his of his own son. Um, a word of caution. Our inclinations bear results. Esau was a blessed man materially. You know, when he came to meet Jacob there at that uh, important meeting, when Jacob was returning to his own land, uh, Esau came you know, with a lot of material goods. He had been blessed. But there were inclinations there that ended up moving Esau's children to the point of being hated by God. Um, God needing to deal with them until they were destroyed. Um, and then I'd like to read some scripture out of Second Peter. We can make our call on election sure. So... Um, and I, we're, we're, I know we're at 12 now, but I would like to, to read these verses. Second uh, Peter 1, 5. But also for this very reason, give all diligence and add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge to acknowledge, to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. 
For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. So we have a choice here. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. We can choose to acknowledge Christ as Lord in our own lives. We can choose to do this. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we can be critical of those Jews that Paul was talking about and say, look, you know, uh, they should have acknowledged Jesus Christ as God's son and so forth. And we can, you know, really give it to them. But are we doing that? Are we living that? Is that us? You know, it's so easy for us to see it somewhere else. Someone's not doing that. Someone's not living it. Or they should or whatever. But how well are we doing at being still and knowing that God is God and that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and he is in control of our lives and we're to submit to his will? How well are we doing at that? Because if we don't do that, we really are in the same places as Jews were that Paul was talking to here. We also need to strive certainly. Oh, oh, Peter also says here in verse 16, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Um, There's no fables. There's no trickery here. They saw Christ. They knew him. And they're they're letting us know about this. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Here again, I feel like it's a complimentary scripture to this uh, Romans 9 passage. Uh, We can run with certainty. Paul talks about that. Uh, We can know Christ and we can know where we're going. uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. So those that run for prizes, they don't eat chocolate candy bars before they go. They're eating foods that are going to make so they can run. I mean, they're they're diligently uh, uh, disciplining their body for that run or for that for what they're doing. Um, and he said that's why they do it. They they do it for an imperishable crown, one that, I mean, for a, a perishable crown for one that is perishes you know might go up on the wall but might burn someday or whatever but we do it for an imperishable crown for something that won't corrupt for for gaining christ that's why we do it therefore i run thus not with uncertainty thus i fight not as one who beats the air but i discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest whenever when i've preached to others i myself should become disqualified one reason one thing I thought about here as I was reading this passage and studying it is I was met by a young man in Romania who told me that, you know, we don't have a choice in this. It's all about the election. It's all about what God decides for us. Um, you know, he can either make us a vessel for honor or dishonor. And we don't really have a choice in the matter. And um, so... Really, it's nothing we can do. We just live our lives. And if we're and this man was living an immoral life and was smoking and 
and uh, drinking and everything else. And so that's, someone had fed him that. That's not the way it is. That is not the way it is. Uh, Paul tells him, it says here, therefore I run thus, not with, un, not with uncertainty. And Paul will not, would have not uh, contradicted himself. He wouldn't have said that he, you know, runs thus with, I can rephrase this, he runs thus with great certainty. Uh, thus I fight, not like one who's just beating the air. I know why I'm fighting for. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing for. Um, and we can do the same. We can know why we're doing what we're doing. When we bring ourselves into subjection of God with his will and his way, we recognize Christ for who he is, uh, that he is God, that he's our Savior, and that we need to submit and then when we get those that all into place, we can run thus with great certainty. And we can know that uh, what we're doing will bring honor and God will use us as a vessel of honor for his kingdom and glory. God bless you. And uh, I trust that uh, we can all be running with certainty and that God can be um, that God can be using us that way. I'll turn the time back over to Brother Alvin.